Uh, well, good morning, everyone, wherever you are and um, wherever you find yourself this morning. Um, and if you're watching this at a later time, I hope that you find yourself in a comfortable, warm place to be able to um, listen and hopefully um, learn a little bit about me and my story and my family. And I hope that sort of offers some insight um, that helps you where you find yourself today. So um, my, just doing my buttons correct. Just going to check up that one. Oh, that's right. Sorry. That was me. Operator error. I did warn Roy about this earlier, but now I think he gets a real close-up about how IT unsavvy I am. So this morning, as Roy said, I'm going to talk about um, something that I've um, sort of carried with me um, in my journey throughout my life and a question that really comes to the core of maybe who I am and certainly come to me as an adult, not as not as a young person, as a child, is... Can you really miss somebody that you've never known? And I guess it's an interesting um, question to pose. And it doesn't, it's not meant to be a difficult one to answer. It's meant to sort of throw that out in the universe because when you hear a little bit about my story, it's something that um, has shaped the way that I, how I relate to people and how I see my journey with God. And how I see what is my future relationship that I hope to one day have um, when I finally get to meet God. So just sort of to begin with, back in 1970s, as you'd all um, probably know historically, there was the war in Vietnam. And it was, I guess, a culmination of decades of war in the country where I was born. And at the time I was born, it was 1974. And the pictures you see now on the screen um, are actually pictures from the orphanage that I came from. The picture that probably best describes maybe my situation, given the age that I was at the time that I was there and the length of time I was there, is the one with the, all the little babies in the cot. Because I was only there, very fortunately, for about three weeks of my life. And in that way, it's fortunate because I don't carry maybe the information and the memories that a lot of the older children have. But at the same time, it's a very strange history to carry within myself in which I actually have no words or no feelings or no real um, memories of the place other than the collective stories from other orphans and from the, the, um, the carers that I've met with subsequently from around the world that worked at this time and also even Australian soldiers that visited the um, orphanage to, to help with care and humanitarian work. So I stayed there for three weeks of my life. How I got there, I don't actually know exactly how I got there. There's a very um, interesting paper trail that I, that I follow, um, that I can follow, and it sort of tells the story of a 15-and-a-half-year-old girl that um, gave birth to a child during the war. The location indicates that she was no doubt a refugee that had travelled from the north to escape the fighting, found herself in the south in a huge, huge area near the airport that you'd all fly in when we get back to flying, when you fly into Vietnam. And it was a huge area, which was a paddock's um, open space near the airport where all 
um, disenfranchised refugees sort of camped out in what I'd imagine were quite chaotic and impoverished um, circumstances. So that's how I picture that the beginnings of where I came from. I have no idea about who she is. The very little paperwork that I have indicates that there was no father that was recognised on any documentation. Um, And in reality, it's very difficult for me to know whether those identifying documents are actually mine or whether they were made up or they're from another, um, another child. So very tricky to sort of try to work out who am I, where do I come from, what do I stand for, what do I believe when, this amb- when there's this ambiguity around the beginnings and the fundamental basis of who we are. So the pictures we see there, some of the adults in there I've met, um, some Australian soldiers I've met and it's a really interesting snapshot of time and space because all the photos from that time are in black and white. And we'll get to some photos a little bit later of photos that um, are of now. And it's interesting the pictures you have and you carry with you and then the reality and how you then pick up from that time and time and space and you move along. So this is just a, I guess everyone has probably seen these photos before, which are, you know, the classic photo of all the babies coming out on the airlifts, um, all strapped into archive boxes on aeroplanes. So I was one of those children strapped into a box safely on a um, Singapore Airlines photograph. And with from the time that I was supposedly born, Three weeks later, I found myself in the arms of my adoptive mother, Marlene. You can see a picture there, stunning um, 70s orange curtains. Two big brothers um, that were very excited um, and my picture of my adoptive father there looking fantastic in the stinking hot in Western Australia in a skivvy that talks to his Dutch, Dutch heritage. And then there's a picture of my passport that I had uh, with my one-way ticket. That was the picture of me when I came. So three weeks old, fairly interesting description of me as a, a nondescript um, baby. Um, so that's, uh, you know, fairly typical of what, what sort of was expected at the time. So I arrived in WA. My life had changed. I was disconnected from my culture there would be no way for me to have been tracked of where I'd gone from as far as my my mother um, goes. They, I think that would have been very difficult for any of my biological family to be able to come and find me and find out where I had gone. And the other aspect of that would be also um, uh, that... My life had started, my identification changed, my name changed, my language, my culture was all very different. For me, I, was, it was, I guess it was a good thing I was so young and in that um, I was able to sort of, the remnants of language and any trauma I carried with me were, were fairly minimised. But having said that, um, anyone who has experienced having to make a decision to leave their culture, leave their family and everything they understand, not only language, um, work, family, all those things, there's um, there's a certain amount of trauma that's involved with that 
And I think you spend the rest of your life really working through that, asking questions and looking for answers. The the journey which sort of tells its tale, I guess, in three photos is um, the children that came um, from Vietnam to Australia received a lot of attention we arrived in Australia in the middle of what was the tail end of the white Australia policy, which is very, very unkind and uncharitable to Asians um, coming to Australia. However, the children coming or us coming really changed that conversation to something that was more about humanitarian um, purposes and ideas and challenged a lot of the morals and ethics around what it was meant to be Australian. I was very thankful, I guess, as a, as a young person that I wasn't the adult trying to have these conversations and, you know, look to change people's feelings and understanding and context of how they saw our children. But just as, I guess, um, one part of that would be to understand that um, even my um, grandmother on my mother's side, you know, found it very difficult to understand why my parents, my, my adoptive parents, would adopt an Asian child. But, of course, in time, um, hearts and relationships change and grow and, uh, you know, it's more about the people, not about the culture and the race, which is a really interesting, I guess, aspect to take on about what does time do, what does being open to communicate and having those relationships and sticking by the people that you love in order to create bridges and not just walk away. The middle picture is a um, picture of myself just at the time that I began to search for my Vietnamese origins, and that's Ashika. So I um, hope she's not too terrified. She's now a giant 22-year-old and taller than me. But the journalist who looked at this story was actually, his name's Noel Mainsbet, and he's a very well-known West Australian journalist. And for his work and advocacy around um, the refugees and boat people that came from Vietnam and Cambodia and he always had a very much a vested interest in wanting to know what happened to those children that he photographed um, back in the 70s and their journeys and how they were traveling along. So we found ourselves, um, I was 27 to going 28, I found myself for the first time a real reason and really challenged about what are my origins? What is the story that I'm going to, to tell my children? What is the story I'm going to tell myself? And is there a need to change that? And is there a need to to love that part of me that is essentially unknown, the mystery, embrace the unknown and not be frightened of it, but find it and find a place for it to be that's a constructive and positive part of who I am. So I, I was... Within probably five minutes of Ashika being born, I knew in that hospital at that moment, the giant epiphany that comes and smacks you in the face, and they do that every now and then, thank goodness, is I need to do something. I had a very positive and a very happy adoptive family, and that that gave me the support and network that I needed and the strength to be able to ask the difficult questions. That also allowed me to travel my childhood and into my adult life and not feel challenged by the, the questions and the unknown um, 
unanswered questions about who I was. And I felt very fortunate at that time that it was a decision that I was making, that I would choose to look and ask questions, that I was now ready to to search not only in a, um, I guess, logistical way, you know, going back and looking through documents and going back to my country where I was born, but also from an emotional journey and ready to maybe ask questions and not have them answered or ask questions and 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 find a um, acceptance of what those answers might be because they might not be the answers that I'd always been hoping for or they might not be the answers that gave me the easiest pathway. So simple questions, difficult resolutions. The third picture is actually myself and a journalist, Dylee from SBS, who was also travelling a journey with herself looking for her father, who she had she and her family had lost contact with um, when the war ended. So we've become friends and together she showed me a part of Vietnamese culture and connected me to a part of Vietnamese culture that I that I had no contact with because she travelled with her her, um, her mum and she had the language, she had the culture and so therefore it's one of those, you know, tentacles of understanding and drilling down into aspects that I look like I should know but in fact um, it, it's, you know, without being dismissive, it, it's superficial and so I needed to decide how I owned um, the context of my culture and my identity. So Dai Lee, that picture is about me searching in Vietnam, full circle, going to search, go through all the government records. While I'm searching those sort of factual documents and and um, snippets, I'm also sort of searching about, well, what happens, you know, asking those really tricky questions, which is what happens if I don't find anything? What happens if I spend years and years and I don't find anything? How do I find peace with that? How do I find peace with a relationship of two people that existed that, for all intensive purposes, I never knew or I don't know? I don't know when I look in the mirror about the things I look at. Do I have the same eyes? Do I have the same height, stature? All those things that I look at my own children and implicitly know. I don't know what the mystery is when I see myself. One of the things that we do... um, is even though we, we, I'm talking about adoptees, I guess struggle to look for connections to our own biological beginnings and family, there's also the connection that we have with each other. You know, this is very much to me, and I understand when I'm talking to you now that a lot of these things are sort of in parallel with, you know, the relationship I have with my Christianity and with God, but also with the church family. So lots of questions because... You know, we have the, I guess, the liberty to ask them and some uncomfortable answers. Having a family and having connection with other adoptees is the same, I guess, connection we have with a church family. We're like-minded people that come together that as soon as we meet, we feel a bond that's, you don't need to explain, you don't need to talk about. You're all there in the same room for the same reasons, yet come from such vastly different places. So the pictures you see on the screen now are pictures of adoptees that um, when we've met in Vietnam, and we would do this fairly regularly. Of course, COVID has stopped that now. 
But although there's sort of a, a homogeny about the photos, especially the large one or the group one down the bottom, in fact, when we all talk and we walk and we interact with each other, you can very clearly see that we that our I guess expression of our culture is from America, London, Sweden, Germany, Australia, all over the place, and it's quite funny. Um, but at the same time, it's really challenging because when I look into the face of the other adoptees, I think about what it would be like if I had been the adoptee that was sent to Sweden, or if I'd been the adoptee that was sent to Germany, or you know, the deep south in America. How different my journey would be. So there's a community feeling about when we meet, we support each other, we help each other. Um, and I guess in that there's a, a bonding amidst the sort of feeling like the ambiguous floating around and not connecting to to anywhere in particular around our country of origin, but we'd certainly connect with each other. This is a photo that at the beginning of the slides I, look, I said, look, there was those black and white photos about the orphanage and where we came from. So this is the orphanage now. Were, the family was allowed to keep it. And lo and behold, Technicolor, although I believe the tiles are always black and white, are actually red and white. And much to my horror, the um, tiles in the chapel are actually green. So all of a sudden there's smells, there's context, there's texture, there's colour to the, these black and white photos that I'd held in my, my, my heart for 27 years. The composite of these photos is around, it's amazing to be able to go back and see these places because what it does is that they're no longer fragments of photos that people have given me, but this is now, this, these journeys and these trips actually allow my family and myself to begin the story and to begin to weave what is really our future and our understanding and how we embrace what was a really interesting beginning to, to our family's story. So that's Ashika sitting there pouring through birth records um, of children like myself that came from that orphanage. I've walked through the hallways with other adoptees that have memories of these hallways and spaces and places and hear their stories and memories that they've never been talked about ever before, of whisperings in the hallways and what they can see in their, their memory in their memories in their minds. And I hear about that and that becomes sort of the tapestry of the history that I have, although they're not my memories, but they're about building relationships to create understanding. Interesting enough, that's Torby standing in the middle of the chapel there, probably wondering what on earth that is, because it's actually a Catholic, it's actually a Catholic um, chapel, and every day at five o'clock, nuns in uh, pale blue come and sing in there. It's quite haunting, but very interesting. So I guess the main part of today is really what I wanted to talk about also was where do you go from that? Where do you go from this chaotic beginning? How do you find direction and resolution and at peace? Part of that is creating relationships. And one adoptee that are really, um, we could almost be sisters. And to be brutally honest, we've never actually tested our DNA together, but we probably can actually, but we just choose not to. Maybe sometimes too much information is uh, not so helpful. But her name is Mihung and she's chosen the other the other path, I guess. I know my Vietnamese history. I choose to live and bring up my children in Australia with Mihung has chosen to bring up her children and make her life back in Vietnam. And and I could probably 
comfortably say we're almost like twins of each other. I see that I can imagine through her what my life would be if I chose right now to embrace everything that was Vietnamese about me and go back and live in Vietnam. Um, at this stage, I guess, as you can tell, I haven't made that decision, but she's an amazing person and she has her own story. But from that relationship, my family's been very fortunate to be able to um, work with Mi Hung in her work um, to support orphan children in Vung Tau. Now, Vung Tau has a very strong connection to Australian uh, Australians because that's where the Australians served and where the Australian base was. And then Australians continue to um, be probably the highest number of um, foreigners in this particular area in Vietnam. And in that, they do provide a lot of ongoing support to um, the charities that are in uh, Vung Tau area in Vietnam. So these photos are pretty old now. You can see how young Torby is there in his bright red short shirt. Um, this was one of the trips we went back and these are children. I look at them now and I think how little they are and I know how big they are today. But really, I, I kind of cringe a little bit when I see these photos because I realise that there's a lot of debate around orphanage tourism. But I can guarantee that this is not what this relationship is with our family. So we've had a long um, ongoing relationship with the children's home. Um, we see these children grow up. We see them um, moving, studying, learning, even going to universities. So a part of me understanding my culture and identity is about finding a way to um, enjoy, be a part and find an investment going forward of my relationship and connection to Vietnam. One of the other things that we continue to do um, as a family is that we connect with what is called the Long High Centre, which is a different region, a very, very poor region in Vietnam, just out of Vung Tau, but in the peninsula area. And it's a school that Mi Hung has established. Um, and it runs fully on the donations from foreigners. And again, not through orphanage tourism, but through true and earnest philanthropic um, investments by communities and schools and groups. So the thing that interests me about this particular school or, or um, operation is that these kids um, learn a vocation. So the idea is they get educated. They can only afford to um, come to school uh, for half a day because the other half a day they have to be at home helping their um parents uh, work and keep food on the table but for half a day they come into school and by looking at them you'd have no idea that they were the poorest of the poor and I won't show you pictures of where they live I think you can imagine what that might be like um, these kids um, learn to sew learn to cook learn to do mechanics because in the end if Mi Hung and, and with her support um, supporters if we can get one of these children into a vocation and working in the community, that will save that family from poverty. And it just takes one half and that commitment to see it, see that child through. So a huge undertaking, a huge mission. Uh, Mi Hung is an incredibly strong Christian in what is a non-Christian company, uh, country, um, and she's 
I think that actually makes her stronger. It's her belief in adversity and I truly believe that that's the strength sometimes of our core beliefs. So these some of our kids, um, I call them our kids, but, you know, I think that's just me and my relationship with them. This is some of the, the other areas. Um, you can David, my husband, is an avid sort of tinkerer. So uh, that tinkering in the workshop where the kids learn how to um, do mechanics, fix bikes, move on and do those sort of apprenticeships and skills um, is a really, an, a really strong connection with our family as well. All the uniforms you see the kids wearing, it's because they've made them. Um, they make the uniforms, they learn to sew, they learn to do those things. And so beautifully from the outside, they don't look any different um, from the children that are, are better off down the road. And it's a real testament to Mi Hung's um, work and the community-minded spirit of those who contribute to it. So that is a very personal connection and a decision that our family has made how to um, reach out and to pay it forward to to the country that I was born in. Um, I guess one of the great things too is that Ashika, our daughter, um, spent a year in her gap year in Vietnam as well. And I think that was in balance with that we'd spent a year in Sweden and then she'd spent a year in Vietnam. And really that was a bit of a nod to um, the... I guess the her origins, you know, David's, uh, my husband's heritage is from Sweden, um, from his father's side, and we've spent time there exploring. We've done the same in Vietnam, and now it's the journey for, for my children to really decide how that story continues and how they carry that. I'm just going to read something to you, um, and I'm just going to put you onto it a picture, a nice serene picture. I'm just going to read something to you just to um, – I'm going to read it off a piece of paper like old-fashioned style. Uh, this is a letter that I wrote, which sort of was where the title of today came from because it's a letter to someone I've never met or two people I've never met. So I wrote this initially back in 2003 – um, it was a time in which our family, without Torby on with us at that point, but we had a Shika and we were our little family living in a little bubble in, in Japan. Um, since then, I've sort of read it and it still remains true to me. And of course, to update it, I've included Torby on, our son. But let me just read it to you and and, um, and just, I guess, have a little bit of a think about what it means about our relationship when things or people are, are absent or not tangible. I always think about this as maybe a bridge to my connection with, with God as well, someone I hope to meet but haven't yet met. So the letter starts with, To someone I never knew. How is that we have existed in this world apart for all these years, life being full of meeting so many people, my husband, my daughter, my son, but never you. As I write this, I am unsure, I am unsure as to my reasons and expectations. Maybe I have none other to try and free myself of these thoughts. Perhaps it's a need to justify these feelings that have floated in my mind for so long. Could it be just to capture them and make sense of them from one brief moment, like a photograph? 
maybe in some vague hope that you may know these things one day of me. Writing this now, I'm very aware that I'll only give an image of me as I am today, not yesterday and not tomorrow. Yet I feel I need to write this now, and I don't know why. In miss all the joy and richness of my life, I can't deny that I feel a deep sense of having been cheated out of ever truly knowing either of you. Each of us is a unique piece of a puzzle that will never be solved. We are forever connected but never truly acknowledged, for love or hate, death or survival has separated us from our natural bonds. I have no way of knowing if these thoughts will ever pass through your mind or if these words will ever pass over your lips, and in that there is great sadness and emptiness. Sometimes that emptiness is like a grave and sometimes it's like a window to the universe. I float between the two like the tides of time and sometimes I feel you rushing towards me and at other times you are fading far over the horizon. I long to know you both. I long to know your stories. I have told mine so often yet never heard yours. My soul aches for a break in the silence that binds my existence. Of course, this is purely selfish, and maybe the truth will leave me just as empty. Maybe it's a story I sh- that shouldn't be told. It's incredibly difficult to not want something, some things in life, even if it might be bad or impossible. My thoughts are bound by nothing. Valleys, oceans, skies of endless possibilities of what and who you might be. It's like knowing the answer but not the question. An eternal pause with no reprieve. I try very hard not to feel like a victim, to not project my sorrow, confusion or regret. However, it seems to surface every now and then, like a raging serpent. It's in everything I do in life. I feel as though it's a justification of my worth. My life was saved while another perished. No reason given. I've tried to be honourable, honest, loyal and true as if I could somehow compensate for the injustice of losing you both. It's a bitter tree that grows inside my soul. Would I give up what I have today to have known either of you? What would I value more if I could choose? Is it right to want both? I know that I am product of my upbringing, in my body and thoughts and emotions, in the shaping of my morals and aspirations. I cannot regret the love I have received and the quality of life I live, yet I greedily and selfishly cannot wholly accept the reasons and sacrifices that has brought me to this place. Although it is simply a request to want to know you, It is a worthy request, yet I feel torn between knowledge and ignorance. My mind can never settle, even though I have... My mind can never settle. Every thought I have of you dilutes into infinity. I have no single hope for either of you, no one message for both, no image of you. It has taken almost 30 years to write this letter, with many failed attempts proceeding. Maybe it's because... You both seem so distant and unreal to me that I can write this now. It has both a sense of freedom it's a, and also a bit like giving up from the burden of an impossible task. I'm trying to find a resolution in not knowing you, to find peace in the reality of now and not to float endlessly in restless dreams. I may accomplish many things in life. I've met many people, I have many people to thank for that, though it would seem as though I could never accomplish knowing either of you. Neither can I ever thank you like I can thank the others around me. But should I want to? And what if I could? And where are you now? And what are you? Is there not one single image locked in my, in my mind of your faces? What could I do to unlock this picture into my consciousness? 
of all the things an infant can take in when it's born, did I actually see you? Is this a blessing to have no memory or a curse? It's not giving up, but maybe letting go. Sometimes I feel as though I need to, as though I believe I should, but in truth, I never will. How could I? Sometimes I fear we have already met but haven't known. The fear of a lost opportunity to reconcile hearts, parting before we'd even really met. I sometimes wonder what we would do if we were to finally meet again. Loss is a strange world to describe having not known either of you. I don't feel I can truly mourn your absence as you are just a very vague concept to me. You're not tangible to me now or even as a memory, so my emotions are equally as vague. I would not say that I've lost you or that I've incurred a loss. It would be more truthful to say that I've gained an emptiness, a gap, a void. All that I know for certain is that you both must have existed somewhere and sometime and somehow for me to be here today. It is only... The true, so- It is the only true solid fact that I know. After all this searching, the only clue is me. So these are my thoughts for now. I cannot even begin to imagine how you would react to reading this. It is almost impossible to begin to try. And even as I conclude this letter, I know that there is so much more I could say if you were here now, if I could see you, if I could just meet you. But this is all for now. Not really an ending and not a beginning but maybe just a pause in time, a moment of reflection, a brief reprieve from my silence. I just want to finish off by just sharing with you a um, verse in the Bible from Philippians 4, 4-8. Always be filled with joy in the Lord. I will say it again, be filled with joy. Let everyone see that you are gentle and kind. The Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks for what you have. And because you belong to Jesus Christ, God's peace will stand guard over your thoughts and feelings. His peace can do this far better than our human minds. Brothers and sisters, continue to think about what is good and worthy of praise. Think about what is true and honourable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. And do what you learned and received from me, what I told you and what you saw me do. And the God who gives us peace will be with you. So thank you for listening today. Um, I hope that's given a bit of a snapshot. I know there was a lot of sort of information in there. Um, But thank you very much for listening. And I hope that um, when we think about what it is, can we miss someone that we've never known? I think maybe the answer for me is yes, you can, because in there there's always a space so it guarantees there's a space in my heart for for God and a space in the heart for my parents and for those I've yet to meet and for those that I never will but thank you for listening today would you join us for prayer as we close out our service for today Father God we come before you this morning as we consider what it's like to be um, what it's like to have distance between ourselves and a loved one And as we 
consider what it means to know you as as a paternal um caring divine god uh, i just want to pray that in those moments where we sense uh, that 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 loneliness and that distance uh, that by your spirit you would be able to uh, in the still in your still small voice um, communicate a sense of your presence and um yeah father as we as we go about this week and as we consider um consider these things i just want to pray that you would you would um give us that sense of assurance that you are leading and guiding and that that uh, we can we can uh, learn to trust uh, in you we pray these things in your name amen <laughs>